the Michael Anthony show is back. And it's back with a hole in its heart. Because, unfortunately, a previous guest of the Michael Anthony show has moved on to the other side since I last spoke to the loyal listeners. Which is Happy Rossi. When I didn't announce that I wouldn't be around for two months. That person been Dottie Weir. Um, a giant of a man, spiritually and physically. And someone who, yeah, moved me to an, to an extent. Well done, boys. Love Dottie. Uh, not a rugby guy. I think it has an undertone of homosexuality that it needs to address. Um, not that there's a problem with that, but just be more open about it and stop pretending that it's masculine to beat the shit out of each other for attempting to put their ball over your line whilst wearing thongs to the beach and getting in photos apparently for charity and having wankathons and lighting matches in your bell ends in the clubhouse afterwards. But it's a good sport. Um, <clears throat> it's a good sport when the ref doesn't get overly involved which they just do now because rugby refs um, are narcissists. I've sat down with rugby refs with his big fucking and this isn't homophobic it's just a style of weightlifting and I'm sure any personal trainers listening to this will recognise it is a big gay chest it was gaily built short arms very bench focused and you wanted to be a little bear he is a little bear and he's doing he's fine at it but Doddy deserves all the plaudits it was an honour to speak to him. I'm sure he didn't think about the MA show in his last year of existence before he moved into um, nothingness. But that doesn't mean that we can't honour the fact that he was here. A lot of people used to ask, who do you think will be the first guest to go? Um, I lost a bit of money at Ken Loach, um, but... Dottie won the race in the end. Um, but a few people getting on to be who were annoying said Razor. Um, Razor Ruddock. He ain't going anywhere. He's crying on TV. He's telling Merce that he's right. and He's going to stop the drinking. No, no, no. My next favourite, I reckon, the next... I shouldn't say it as the host. It could affect the ability to maybe get future guests on. <coughs> Paul Geller. <coughs> Sorry. Um, no, it's good to be back. And I appreciate the fact that um, a lot of you were curious about where I was, where I've been. And I don't have the strength or self-confidence, although I pretend to be um, somebody who lays it on the table by doing this show, to, to tell you the truth. So I'm going to do what all great people involved in anything got to do with the internet do. And just say it was a difficult period in which my thoughts... Um, weren't what they usually were and it wasn't an easy time and I felt isolated and felt alone and sometimes you feel like no one will understand and fuck it, I'd IBS. I was shitting myself. I had the whole works. I might even make an Instagram which just start putting up photographs of me and guests who come onto the show and change the whole genre of this bastard. Every guest who comes on this from now on, it's me, them and a Polaroid fucking picture. I'm showing the face. I'm influencing and I have mental health problems. And it's not my fault. It's yours. It's yours.
and I'm exempt from any type of criticism for my sheer disrespect for my my listenership by not showing up. I have anxiety. My thoughts are anxious. Leave me alone. I'm a woman. Even though of a dick and balls, I'm a woman. And I was raped. I was raped by a, a randomer in a, a toilet at a Franz Arlen game in 2004. And I was um, bullied for having a gap in my teeth when I was younger. And then I also um, used to cut out a lot when I drove a car and people used to point that out and I didn't like it. It made me feel like they were judging my driving. I was emasculated by it and I have a small dick. And there's been numerous women in the past who've pointed that out and said my pubes were too long and it looked like a rabbi's fucking beard and I was thinking about that and it's got me down and I can't focus and it's all your fault and not mine. And my father told me to stop kicking in a final when I was 12 when I missed um, the first place kick as opposed to saying you can do it. And I chased his approval for years and eventually brought home a woman who I took pride in uh, for being good looking because I was that shallow and insecure and eventually uh, when she left I asked my father what did he make of her he said she seemed like a nice girl and then when I asked what did you make for looks he gazed at me whilst essentially slaughtering a live lamb for dinner and said I wasn't looking you fucking well though and I realised I've been chasing something down a path that um didn't exist but it's not my fault. It's the fault of all the figures from the past who've caused me to do 18 shows in 2022, even though there's people out there who take time out of their evenings to hear me talk shit. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I took a space cake in Amsterdam, age 29. And took five hours to find a hotel that was 200 metres away from the fucking coffee shop. Was debating with a friend whether or not we should sleep rough for the night before getting a Dutch couple to save us. By getting us an Uber 200 metres down the road because neither of our phones had battery. A Dutch couple, by the way, who are soon probably going to be broken up because I'm texting the woman. Isabel, if you're listening, leave him. He's not good enough for you. I am your future. But am I? No. All I want you to do is leave him to feel better about myself because I'm fucking horrible. And the minute you offer me some affection, I'll do what I always do and run for the fucking hills because I don't like myself. like ourselves but for some reason a few years ago I had the audacity to put my worldview into a microphone so I've no fucking option to come back on because there's cunts for some reason messaging some of you I appreciate in fact there was a group of four or five guys around three days ago at half seven in the morning who recorded a message from their coke session 
Um, also guys who apparently hate themselves, so I tip my hat to you, with a quote from the show that was along the lines of, if you're not up to flake, you aren't up to much. Apparently it was from a show a few years back in which there was some characters beneath. So I appreciate those guys, although I'd, I'd, I'd look within yourselves, because cocaine's not a good drug. It's not fun. I know people try to justify drug use by saying, ah, now I, I did mushies and it changed my life. Yeah, did it? Were you just so full of anxiety and a lack of self-confidence before you did it that by taking these mushrooms you had a little bit of irreverence um, to your worldview, which made you realize that your own thoughts are a waste of time? Did it really change you or just take you out of your own negativity? I'm sick of cunts saying mushrooms changed their life. No, they made you realize you're a self-involved waste of time who's overestimating your impact on this floating globe in space. There's a lot of gimps out there that do mushrooms, by the way. They haven't been cool since the 60s. Look up people over the age of 26 who are going to festivals with sunglasses on, who are reconnecting. Um, They're all on shrooms. They also think they know philosophy because they watch 67 clips of Jordan Peterson fucking crying. A man who probably did know psychology and philosophy before he became famous. And then his mind became tortured and now he's kind of looking well but fucking crying. The recipe that every single person who's ever um, suffered fame has experienced. We can justify drugs all, all we want here, but you cannot justify cocaine. You can't. What does it do that is positive? Nothing. You get in conversations you don't want to be in. You say things you do not want to say. The next day you wake up and don't just have a headache and a blocked nose, a lack of appetite and kind of heart palpitations, but you also have the knowledge of, did I actually sit there and listen to that person talk to me about why it's a good time to start buying crypto again? Did I sit there and Offer sympathy to that guy who's been talking about his mom's tick cancer for the last six years. I mean, I'm sympathetic towards illness, but there has to be a limit on it. And the mom was tick cancer, okay. A year later, she got the all clear. That was good to her. Two years later, how's the mom? Yeah, she's doing well. Three years later, the tick cancer's like, eh, fuck, what do you want me to do? I got 90 years here. You're asking me to fucking commit 7% to giving a shit about your mom's tits? I'm not going to do it. That's cocaine. Unlike the kind of drugs that offer serious euphoria, such as MDMA, ecstasy and that stuff. Again, years since I dabbled in any of this stuff. I just I just found myself fucking kissing homeless women and all. It was, no, there's too much love in that shit, especially when you're an emotionally fucking motivated guy. But at least the emotion is... It, it, there's a degree of truth to it. But cocaine makes you more defensive. But it makes you more confident in your fake confidence. So it actually makes you just brush and clean the armor that you use to hide your insecurities. So you start talking the shit that you use to make sure people stay away from your soul and your true feelings with more audacity, more consistency, and a higher tempo. And the more you use it, the more your brain gets used to you being this person and the bigger tosser you become. It's a horrible drug. No one can justify it. It's for people who don't like their lives. 
And every user of cocaine knows that. There's a shame when you get handed that bag by a fellow coke doer. There might be a buzz when you've had the two pints and you get the bag down. It's funny then. Give us that going to the jacks. But it's not funny when you start to feel the effects of the cocaine. It gets quite serious. Sometimes competitive. Sometimes you don't see the bag again. You just get on the phone and get your own. Because that greedy cunt who you're sharing it with was more insecure than you. And he needs to hoover that bastard. And he doesn't want you having another grain of it. It makes you deny all reality. It makes you not want to go home. The minute you start doing cocaine, you just don't want to be in that bed alone again. After session, we go here. We, we just go back out to the bar tomorrow. It's outrageous. It's ridiculous. And it's pointless. Please quit it. I'm all for fun. I'm all for letting the hair down. There's no hair been left down. Is there anyone with long hair doing cocaine? It's for balding guys who are pretending they're not bald by keeping it at a short back and sides. Yeah. No, just have a short back and sides. I'm not balding. Grow it then. Show me a go down to your shoulders, please. You can't. You're a cokehead. Is it linked to balding? Is there studies? Does coke make you bald? I'd rather be bald than be me. You know I had a one-night stand last week? There was a woman sitting in a bar at 3 a.m. And we went back to a bedroom and had really pathetic, unenergetic, over-the-hill fornication. And I don't like people, let alone strangers. And I asked her, is that, do, do, do you exercise, do you train? Just kind of talking about like body parts and where else to go. It was a physical uh, relationship. So I just go, do, do, do you train? Like, is that, is, is that, is, is the arse the result of squats and lunges? And I was like, no, is the answer I got from this, uh, from this poor woman. So I go, what is it? Is it genetics? Yeah, yeah, it must be. I go, does your mother have a kind of, uh, protruding, um, what would seem like trained arse. And she said, no. I must get it off my dad. Oh, you get it off here? That must must be from my dad. My mum doesn't. All right, yeah. I'm just going to go to the toilet. Car engine sounding a la Simpsons 1990s. It's been a strange few months for me. And I realised that I was really... Um, descending into a bad place and my only option was to get the microphone out because sadly it starts out as an act of unity camaraderie and community but it's a case of sending the clowns and if you pursue something such as the expression of thought to a microphone you will end up alone so the only time you can feel part of anything is when you're back speaking into the bastard to the listeners who then listen and judge you but you do realize there's people out there who are far worse than you. Around 12 days ago now when I was back in Dublin, something that I can't see myself doing again. It's hard to meet people you once associated with hope, optimism, creativity and energy just be their alphas now. And I, unfortunately, 
and bumped into many faces from the past when I was back for Christmas. I don't, that, for me, says enough about my 2022 that I've returned back for Christmas. Um, a made-up event, over-celebrated by people who don't experience love at any other point in the year. Uh, the more family-orientated your Christmas is, the less family I believe that you really have within the heart. It works at levels. You have the people who fight in front of you. You went to their house when you were younger. They could be a family friend, and they're accurately criticizing their mother and father who are criticizing them back. And you're sitting there going to feel comfortable in this energy. They know each other. Then you have the families who, who, who over-celebrate their cousins' achievements or want to impress an auntie and uncle. And they, they travel in groups of 8 and 12 and kind of have dinners for everyone's birthday 16 times a year. And you start to go, okay, these people are in trouble. Then you have the people who celebrate recipes. My mom has a certain lasagna or chicken curry or style of poached egg that is unique. And um, on every second Thursday of the month, we sit down and celebrate her overly salted bullshit lasagna. And you start to go, okay, the lasagna now has a role in the family. They are personifying food. They do not know each other. Then it gets worse and worse to the point where you have footballers whose wives factually just marry them for nothing but their money and fame. So there is no humanity in um, their partnership whatsoever. And not just footballers. I don't want to um, come down on what is a beautiful industry or definitely formerly was a beautiful industry. But anyone who has a relationship, which is the woman has to stay in shape and the man has to stay um, achieving in whatever industry he's in, for them to remain in their pyjamas every single fucking Christmas with their four kids um, who are going to grow up to be cunts because they're in pyjamas every single Christmas in front of a Christmas tree, whilst both of their parents ignore the fact that the old man is slamming at least half of the wife's phone book. So the more you have to advertise, the less I actually buy that you're a family. So worst case scenario, pajamas in front of the tree. Bad scenario, my mom's Gordon fucking Ramsay. Pretty bad scenario, I'm a personal friend of all of my cousins and know all of their children. And good scenario is the only time you'll ever hear me speak about my family is calling them a cunt. That's love. But yeah, I went back and saw things I never want to see again that I knew I would see. It was like some form of self-sabotage. But when I was back um, on the last day, I realized I'm, I'm fine because I was taking a left turn and I heard a noise. I looked back. There was a delivery driver cycling up to me. He didn't fall off the bike. He was fine. Barely scraped his front wheel. And I'm pretty sure he came out of a front garden and I planned the whole fucking thing because he wasn't beside me on the road. But I heard a noise. So he comes up and he goes, man, what are you What are you doing? You have to look. I go, you okay? He goes, uh, uh, yeah, but why, why, why don't you look? But I made sure because I knew by this guy, you, you don't come to Ireland to be a delivery driver. That's why so many of them become drug dealers, prostitution directors, they're not really delivery drivers, but I, I knew the second I saw this guy, he, he was seeing the 15 grand of getting hit by a motor. So I go to him, are you okay? You didn't look. I go, well, you're, 
You're not wearing a jacket. Well, man, you, you just, you hit me. So if you stay in a different form of reality that he wants to take you in, the whole you hit me thing's never getting off the ground. So I watched him as he began to fake an injury. I go, so you're fine, are you? Will I just, will I go? I wasn't trying to be ignorant. I wouldn't have done it if it was some ordinary punter. Hold on. I have to watch him go across the road, park his bike against the wall, and start stretching his hamstring, doing fucking hip rotations, looking like he was um, in fucking Weight Watchers, the cunt, trying to think, what could I make up as an injury here? So I'm across the road, out the car window. He's really looking for a reaction. He wants me to get out. He wants me to start making a scene. If I'm fucking pulled over, his bike's there. We're both standing on the thing. Suddenly a guard pulls over, and he has his, he has his claim that he's looking for, that, he's, that he's, he's injured. So I stay in the car and just go, what, what, are, you, what are you doing stretches for? He goes, wait a second. Ow. Ow. I go, what, what, what are you claiming is hurt? My... Man, hold on. What what are we going to do? I go, you're faking the injury. I'm not, you... Oh. I go, here, man, I'm going. And I drove off. And the passenger beside me was going, that's, that's a hit and run. I go, I fucking guarantee you when I drive back to this spot in two minutes, he's gone. He cycled off. He is making up the fucking injury because... He sees himself taking a course in business management off the back of this incident. I drove back two minutes later. He's gone. Bike is gone. Never heard anything about him again. Human beings are strange. And one human being who many people I found quite strange over the years is, is Garrett Bale, who has just hung up the boots on what for me is one of the great underrated career of modern times. Now, people are going to say it's not underrated. We know what he did. He went to Madrid, he won the European Cup uh, five times, although only starting in two finals. Got Wales to the semi final of the Euro. So, yeah, but if you actually look at what Garrett Bale was, he didn't win a Premier League game for two years when he first went to Tottenham as a defensive liability left-back. Um, he looked like an FA Cup trophy. He was compared to people like Ryan Giggs, something that never helps, and something that is rarely exceeded by the protege. And he turned that into a two-time PFA Player of the Year. Spurs career at one time winning the double with PFA Young Player of the Year joining Andy Gray and Ronaldo is the only two to do it. He got 21 league goals for Tottenham one season. He then went to Real Madrid with Ronaldo at the club, the biggest ego in the history of sport, and was deadly and scored goals. And created great memories, including the greatest club goal ever scored in the 2018 Champions League final that we're not allowed to recognise as the greatest ever scored because it was against Liverpool. He brought Wales to the World Cup. So outrageous was that, I believe it should have been cancelled when Wales and Canada both qualified. And, yeah, it's the MLS Cup and... It's irrelevant, but he still won the bastard. 
one of his last ever footballing acts. And I get why he's unlikable. He seems like a kind of lazily humoured fool who would be in school laughing at people tripping up. He'd be one of the you-fell-over guys. He found a barnet that he liked inspired by the sexier Spaniards he was now working with and kept it for too long. They're always sceptical of someone who finds their groove stylistically and stays in it because they feel so happy with their new identity that it just amplifies how bad they felt about themselves before said discovery. And yeah, he gets overexcited by Piggy in the middle in warm-ups and is really into golf. His personality is appalling. But do not let that make you fall into the trap of believing that those who cite Garrett Bale as Britain's greatest ever footballer are completely wrong. I think he is. To come from Wales being in the same class as Sam Warburton, who captained the Lions twice as well, is, uh, that's just autism. But Coming from Wales in the modern era, where football is so global, and doing that on the world stage and then dragging your underachieving country to two major tournaments. And yeah, we've seen it in the past. John Charles going to Juve. Kevin Keegan being a two-time Ballon d'Or winner abroad. We've seen it before, but we've never seen it. Like, we saw it with with Gareth Bale, the Football Writers Player of the Year 2013, Gareth Bale, who dominated English football. Just after Ronaldo left, he essentially replaced his style of play, which is something that none of us really thought would be would be possible. I have him number one, and while I'm here, let's go through the top ten together. I've skulls too. And... People are going to say that's because you're a Manchester United guy. And it's biased, but Paul Scholes won the league 11 times. 11 times. He won the European Cup twice. He was at the epicentre of English football's greatest ever dynasty for the people in America listening. Nova Scotia, by the way. Who the fuck's in Nova Scotia? Scolzi was a genius. For me, the Lampard, Gerrard, Scolzi, that's not a conversation. Sooness, not a conversation, not with Scolzi. I go bail, then Paul Scolzi. I believe he could have done anything. If he'd left United and gone to the continent, I think he would have had whatever he wanted. There's not a note out of place with Paul Scolzi. His absence... It's just under Gill and Ferguson in explaining our 10 years of hell. And not just his impact on the pitch, because, yeah, his legs were kind of gone for the last few years, but just the presence of having that stability, that consistency and that level of footballer around the place as an option. Just having Scolzi around just brought a calmness to Manchester United Football Club. He's definitely, for me, the most important on-pitch um, figure of the Ferguson era and with that era being the greatest in the history of, of British football Scolzi's too and again I can hear the boos from a lot of the 
left-wing Liverpool listenership to this show. Georgie Best is third. People are going to say, oh, he turned yellow, and he loves Stella. And he didn't reach the heights that he should have reached. And my listeners in the Gale Talk will be saying, he's not a Brit, he is. But Georgie Best, for five years, was doing things with a football that we've never seen a white man do. Ballon d'Or winner, European Cup winner, two-time league winner. Over 15 league goals for five straight seasons. That wasn't really a thing from the wing back then. Best. Best is third. And we all know should be one. He was better than Bale, of course. Georgie Best. But chicks digged him. And Gareth Bale cannot say the same. Number four people aren't going to like. Did he call someone a black hunter? Was he just correcting himself? Why does he shag teammates' ex-girlfriends? Why does he get into his full kit to lift trophies when he wasn't playing in the game? We know. And why would you have him ahead of Bobby Moore when Lizzie in a box handed him Jules Ramey? And he's a cultural icon. Put Bobby Moore on the money. We know. John Terry was better than him. John Terry was better than Bobby Moore. John Terry, for a four to five year period, excluding the fact that he came back and had a second wind, in 2015 to, to win the league again under Mourinho. John Terry for a four to five year period was the best defender any of us who've grown up in the last two decades have seen. 15 league goals conceded in the 05 season. Um, the only thing he didn't have was pace, which again is underrated. He was technically good. Positional sense that no one's ever seen before. An attitude that no one's ever seen before. Didn't lose a header. Great leader. As a United fan who was hoping Chelsea lost every weekend, the reason I knew that I was wasting my time on fucking teletext was because John Terry was playing. And then you're asking, who's the fifth greatest British footballer ever? In a kind of less cool way, um, then Bestie, this guy didn't reach the heights he should have reached either, mainly due to being a product, very young, and having an agent who loved a paycheck, and a wife who loved going to court over Instagram issues, with him beside her. That is now a series that fucking actors are showing up to act in, including Michael Sheen. He's, for me, one of the worst managers I've ever seen actually take the vocation seriously. But Wayne Rooney, although he didn't reach the heights, fifth greatest British footballer ever. People are going, what about Stanley Matthews and this shit? I get it, but yeah, he played till 50. I think he was better than Waza. No, had it all. Genuine street footballer in a modern setting, had so much pressure on his shoulders and lived up to it. To an extent, but not to what we wanted. It still doesn't mean he wasn't fucking whopper. You can't not have Jimmy Greaves on this list. If you have a minute tonight, type in Jimmy Greaves' goal record. Did a lot for TV. 
had his drink problems, had his ups and downs, but no. There's a lot of people who think that football began in 1992. We know that by saying Alan Shearer is the top Premier League scorer ever. It's an irrelevant fucking step. They changed the name of the league, changed the trophy, and added a few fucking cheerleaders. For some reason, they don't even count Alan Shearer's top flight goals before the Premier League started. But Jimmy Greaves is the highest scorer in the history of English League football. Top flight English League football. How can you leave him out? He was unfortunate that he was injured for 66, but no one touches Greaves. And again, the personality in a way goes against him because he's known as such a legend for his charisma and verbosity, but people forget that he wasn't always a bald fat guy with a, with a walrus above his upper lip. Gascoigne, seven. Weird career, Gascoigne. Newcastle, Tottenham. Rangers, Lazio, Everton. You don't really know how to... Middlesbrough. You don't know how to categorise Gascoigne, but it's just based on sitting opposite human beings who share dressing rooms with him, or played against him, who say he was the most outrageous talent they'd ever come across. So, Gaza for me, is seventh. And I don't want to put this guy in number eight, but to escape claims of bias, I'm putting Dogleash eight. Even though Dennis Law was better than him. Kenny Dogleash eight. Um, what he did for both Liverpool and Celtic as football clubs, it's remarkable and can be overlooked. Doesn't seem like the best guy, but I'm sure that's just how you feel about the senior figures associated with rival clubs. Half decent manager at one point when he was younger. Doug Lichade. Never won the Ballon d'Or, but came second. Again, ignoring some some greats of the game. Glenn Hoddle's not getting in. Chris Waddle. Giggs isn't getting in, Rodri. I apologise for bringing that up. I know he shagged your wife. No Sooness, no Bobby Moore, as previously mentioned, what people aren't going to like. No Kevin Keegan. I'm going Law 9 and Sir Bobby Charlton Dan. So when you do break it down, why are people going so mental about the concept of Garrett Bale being considered Britain's greatest ever footballer? Bale won. Skulls too. Best, Terry, Rooney, Greaves, Gascoigne, Dugleish, Law, Charlton. That's my opinion. People think it's a good time to be a Manchester United fan. Yeah, it is. It's obviously better than it was when you have Oli Solskjaer, who isn't a manager, followed by Ralph Ragnick, who genuinely just um, was not a football manager. When you have them on the sideline week in, week out, anything's going to be better. But it's a weak league. And as opposed to getting overexcited and thinking that Marcus Rashford is Andy Cole as opposed to Danny Welbeck because he's pretending to be a Buddhist, putting his finger up against his head. Uh, Marcus Rashford's been at the club eight years. He owes us a run of fucking form. A lot of his goals are in either the League Cup or Europa League. Um, When Carlos Tevez used to score four against QPR, you you couldn't get footage of it, um, let alone count them as genuine fucking goals. When Wayne Rooney accidentally scored a wonder goal away at Atletico Bilbao, he was fucking ashamed of it. In 2012. So we should calm down on the Rashford thing and just make sure that we keep winning games because although we'll be better next season, so will City. They'll learn to play with Haaland as the centre point. Um, they'll replace some of the aged players. Liverpool will be better. And we probably won't have the opportunity to chase a 
Arsenal team who have never been psychologically tested. So, we've paid the money to compete. We've one of the highest wage bills in the world, and we have a gaffer who, yeah, he proved he was a winner. And with Klopp and Guardiola being shaky, the two uh, individuals who you would have thought blocked Ten Hag from being successful, now's the time. Forget improvement. Forget long term. Just keep winning fucking games. And make sure Scott McTominay doesn't kick a fucking ball and joins Harry Maguire on the sideline. Because a lot of things Manchester United were doing were unforgivable. And we were overcomplicating very simple things, such as the concept of making sure Harry Maguire cannot be on the football pitch, or getting rid of Paul Pogba's energy, or Lingard's energy, or getting Ronaldo out. Never understood the re-signing of him. Spiritually, we're in a better place. But let's take advantage of it and genuinely win the League Cup, which is going to happen. And try and win the fucking FA Cup, having got Reading at home for the 15th time in 15 years. Just win and shut up and don't be like them or compare some of our players who've won nothing because they're in a run of form to some City players with four league titles. Just, just don't do it. Just avoid it and don't make claims that our football is spectacular. It isn't. And the goal against City, the equaliser, shouldn't stand. Be honest about it as well. It's ridiculous. Like Colin Farrell winning the Golden Globe for chasing after a cunt with a donkey who's in a bad mood. If he wins the Oscar for Best Actor, we're very close to the territory of cancelling the award altogether. You think about Tom Hanks and the back-to-back in the mid-90s with Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. You think about Daniel Day-Lewis in my left foot being Christy Brown, method acting Christy Brown, having his wife wipe his ass being Christy Brown in his free time. You talk about McConaughey and the weight loss and where he went mentally for Dallas Buyers Club. You talk about Marlon Brando and the Godfather. It, it's, a, it's a serious award to win. And if Colin Farrell, for being a charming Irish man who we have to pretend isn't dyeing his hair, and isn't a limited actor who we like more for his, in a way, pseudo-self-deprecative manner and self-awareness, if we think he's worthy of that for that film, I think we're lying. I don't know if people have seen The Banshees of Inish Aaron, but it's it's kind of an average indie piece that you'd expect a uh, IADT graduate to, to throw on YouTube. It's good. It's fine. There's the odd little funny Irish joke. The most interesting um, aspect of the film is the fact that the, the woman playing his sister was also the woman he decked at the start of intermission which is one of the greatest scenes in the history of Irish um, film. In Rathfarnham Shopping Centre, when Colin Farrell batters your woman behind the counter. It's great. That's cinema. But The Banshees of Inish Aaron is something that's been overrated due to the reputation of the creator, who has had some classics in Bruges and Three Billboards and all this shit, but this isn't it. And Brendan Gleeson isn't the face of Irish culture when he's going on and being creatively abusive and disrespecting every fucking trad musician who has emphysema on Marion Rowe by playing the fucking banjo on The Late Late when he's an actor. Who peaked when he played Martin Cahill in in The General, which is uh, on YouTube, start to finish. That's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm here to say to the listeners. Expect guests. Expect fun. 
And um, yeah, let's uh, get my show. It's been how many years, my boy? You still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take it slow. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Makes me feel just fine. What's it? Makes me see the light. What about those tears? Cheers, believe my eyes. How's it make a feel? Makes me feel alright. 